Divine forgiveness, that's my message today in preparation for the Lord's table. Divine forgiveness is the forgiveness that only God can grant. Now, if you, if you were to talk to people about the subject of forgiveness, you will probably hear a variety of different views and ideas on that subject. One of which is that we must forgive other people unconditionally. Is that true? That is something that I hope to discuss at much greater length on Sunday mornings when we have communion in the future. But the short answer to that question, must we forgive people unconditionally? The short answer to that question is no. No. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Very important little word there, as. So the first step in understanding the doctrine of forgiveness is to understand how God forgives sins. If we're going to forgive other people as God has forgiven us in Christ, then we need to understand exactly how he forgave us and why he forgave us in Christ. What we do know from Scripture is God's forgiveness of sinners is conditional. It is not unconditional. So the same must be true of the forgiveness that we grant to others. And there are some difficult passages that we'll, we'll, we'll wrestle with in the future. But Colossians 3.13 is very much like Ephesians 4.32. We are to bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, and there's that word again, as the Lord has forgiven you, so must you also forgive. In his devotional, utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers wrote these words, Beware of the pleasant view of the fatherhood of God. God is so kind and loving that, of course, he will forgive us. That thought, based solely on emotion, cannot be found anywhere in the New Testament. The only basis on which God can forgive us is the tremendous tragedy of the cross of Christ. To base our forgiveness on any other ground is unconscious blasphemy. Forgiveness, which is so easy for us to accept, cost the agony at Calvary. To forgive sin while remaining a holy God, the price had to be paid. And it was the ultimate price. Never accept the view of the fatherhood of God if it blots out the atonement of Christ. The revealed truth of God is that without the atonement, he cannot forgive. He would contradict his nature if he did must remember that the forgiveness God grants cannot be divorced from His holiness, His justice. So it is not unconditional forgiveness. Divine justice must be satisfied, which requires something from the sinner. Now, it's, it's clear from Scripture that it required the death of His Son, And it's also clear from Scripture that God does not require good works for us in order to be justified. 
But it requires a total reliance on the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. So the simple question, and one that we could all agree on here in in the answer, is who needs divine forgiveness? And the answer is every sinner without exception, right? You know 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we what? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, I don't know too many people who claim that they don't, do not sin or have never sinned. I actually did meet one person who did that. It was a very interesting conversation. But John said again in chapter 1, verse 9, So although we do sin, if we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we want to confess our sins quickly so that we can enjoy fellowship with God and there would be no hindrance to that fellowship and no hindrance to our prayers. But all men, we know from Scripture, are sinners by nature. By their nature. We call it the sin nature. Psalm 58 verse 3. It says the wicked are estranged or alienated from the womb. That means the time that they're born. They go astray as soon as they are born speaking lies so there's that deception right with it within the heart that comes from the sin nature psalm 51 and verse 5 you know this one behold i was shapen or brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me whose confession was that that was david following what sin his sin with bathsheba now david's david's adultery with bathsheba And the murder of Uriah to cover it up was not a a mistake. It was not an accident. It was not a weak moment in David's life. It it was not a lapse in judgment. Its proximate cause stemmed from the corrupt nature that was within him and within all of us. And actually, David sinned against seven of his wives with one act. Because Bathsheba was his eighth wife. Well, where does this come from? Jesus says, Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. That first thought that he had, that first lustful thought toward Bathsheba. Murders, atrocities, or adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. They all come from the heart. And we all have the same evil heart. Now, this is a fact. You cannot pass legislation to ban evil hearts. You can legislate morality to a degree, right? That's what laws do. They, they, they try to constrain us and force us to comply. But you can't stop the evil from people's hearts. Romans 5.12 says this, and I'm I'm putting, I think, two verses up here. Do we have both of those? All right, so, so just look at these. Two different translations. This first one here is the 1599 Geneva Bible. So this is a lot, what a lot the Reformers went by. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. We all agree, right? So let sinneth it shall die. 
And so death went over all men, or came upon all men. Now notice how they translated this. In whom all men have sinned. In other words, that all men sinned in Adam, when Adam sinned, original sin. The correct translation of the Greek text is over here in the New American Standard Bible. And I believe every English translation translates it this way. At least every one of it. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because all have sinned. This, this teaching here came from Augustine. This is the biblical Greek text. Because all have sinned. And there is a difference there. Now here's where we would agree. The sin nature entered the human race through the personal agency of Adam. Both of those verses taught that. And if you were to go and look at Romans 5, and I covered this extensively when we were back in Romans 5, but if you were to read verses 12 through 21, Paul compares the consequences of Adam's one act of disobedience and the results of Christ's act of perfect obedience to the Father's will. And he does that to demonstrate the fact that the destiny of each member of the human race is really, in a sense, tied up with those two individuals. Either you are in Adam because you are a sinner, condemned and dead in your sin, or you are in Christ. And this is why I emphasized in Christ so frequently when we were going through the book of Romans, particularly Romans chapter 9. If you are in Christ, then you're justified, you're forgiven, and you're spiritually alive. You have life. So Adam's sin gave him and his offspring a sin nature. Now, sinners by nature does not mean that everyone born in this world is born with inherited guilt from Adam. That again came from Augustine. No, we become sinners and we produce our own guilt because we have that sin nature. We're not responsible for what Adam had done, but for what we have done. Now, you don't have to throw rocks at me. Okay? This, is, I believe, is what the Scripture really teaches. Michael Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser, he is a, a, an absolutely great Hebrew scholar. He's not only a Hebrew scholar, he's a scholar in many ancient Semitic languages. And here's what he said. And I, I just happened upon this as I was reading this. The he, studying this. The Hebrew Bible doesn't have a single verse in it about humans inheriting Adam's guilt. And he challenges anybody to find such a verse in the Hebrew Bible. He said, for sure we inherit the conditions and the nature that will produce sin and guilt by our own hand. But that is different than the traditional view that we sinned in Adam, in whom all sinned, rather than because all have sinned. So we have this sin nature. We're never going to get rid of it until God completely sanctifies us, right? And we're made holy like him. And it's a, it's a problem. Uh, we all sin from the time that we we're very little. I mean, you could take the youngest 
child and they're, they're deceptive. They have this, this nature. This, this. You have to teach them to do what is right and that's the battle, isn't it, right? All men are also sinners by choice. We're sinners by choice. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Not one. In 1 Kings chapter 8, you have a prayer of Solomon. And beginning in the 44th verse, he says this, If thy people go out to battle against their enemy, whithersoever thou sendest them, and they pray unto the Lord toward the city which you have chosen, and toward the house that I have built for your name, that would be the temple, then hear thou in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. If they sin against thee, and then he adds these words, for there is no man that sinneth not. So it's not a matter of if, right? It's a matter of what? When, reality. Be, and, and thou be angry with them and, and deliver them to the enemy so they carry away captives unto the land of the enemy far or near. He says, if they, if they, if they repent and they, they ask for forgiveness and they look toward Jerusalem and toward this holy place, God, hear their prayer. Hear their prayer. What did James, James say? Chapter 3, verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. I mean, he's saying we all sin in many different ways. And we all have besetting sins. Some things that are a problem for you may not be a problem for somebody else. So you need to recognize those things lest you fall into the snare of those sins. Romans 3.23 says what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. To sin is to miss the mark. We've fallen short of the glory of God. So nobody can deny that we live in a world in which sin has made its presence known and continues to make its presence known everywhere in this world, every single day. There is really no more universal word than sinners. The earth is filled with sinners. Always has been, ever since the fall of Adam. Isaiah 53, 6, all what? We like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him. Who would that be? Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Well, what qualified him to be that sacrifice for our sins? The fact that he was free of sin by nature and also by choice. We are sinners by nature and by choice. Jesus was free of sin by nature and by choice. Now, that idea that Christ is sinless course is denied if you know anything about islam it's denied in islam but this view has always been challenged by people who even profess to be christians challenged by people who do not know the scriptures or refuse to believe the scriptures i can remember and i believe i told you this before that i was meeting with a roman catholic one time and i was sharing the gospel and i shared the shared the fact that christ was 
was sinless. And, and he, he just got all upset. And he said, no, he wasn't. He got angry in the temple. And, I mean, and he's just given me these ideas, you know, about Jesus being a sinner. And I just took him to Scripture. And I showed him about three or four Scriptures. I'm telling you, he looked at me. And just these tears started coming down his cheeks. He's, because here's what I said to him. I said, sir, if Jesus was, not, was a sinner, you have no Savior. And that's when the tears started coming out. Here's a man who was a, a priest celebrating Mass, forgiving people of their sins in, in confessional. Now he can't really do that, but that's what he thought he did. 1 John 3, 5 says, And you know that he, that is Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Hebrews 4, 15, For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, as part of the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ, but he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He was the unblemished Lamb of God. Now, when Jesus was tempted, I mean, we're all tempted. He was tempted in a pretty remarkable way. But think about it. Jesus, what, what are the three great enemies, right? The world, the flesh, and what? And the devil. Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Tempted by the world, we could say, but not through the flesh. Because he had no sin nature. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath, that's God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's a wonderful verse. I mean, Jesus became something that he was not. He took on human nature. So that we can become something that by human nature we are not. The children of God. Remarkable work that God did. And that's because God is a forgiving God. He's forgiving by nature. We are not. I think, I think a great part of our nature, even if we outwardly don't manifest it, is kind of like revenge, you know. I'm going to retaliate. I'm going to withhold something, whatever, whatever it would be. Exodus 34, 6, And the Lord passed by before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, and transgression and sin. Hallelujah. God forgives sin. But it says he will by no means what? Clear the guilty. So we, so we, we have to have a correct, a correct understanding there of God's forgiveness and his willingness to forgive, but also his justice, which must be satisfied because he is a just and a holy God. So what, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is the removal of sins as a barrier between the sinner and God. That's, that's simple. And we could get into a lot of different doctrinal truths concerning that. 
We'll talk about that in the future. The satisfaction of the wrath of God and so forth. But Psalm 103 verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Do you do that every day? Do I do that every day? Do I just praise God for all the things that he has given to me? All his riches in Christ Jesus, which are mine and which are yours. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and and do not forget all of his benefits. And here's the principal one. Who forgiveth all your iniquities. All your sins. Who heals all your diseases, spiritually speaking. He's healed us of our sins. And then he adds this in verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us. Now God is very exact. God knows geography. He created the heavens and the earth. You can travel north only so far before you would be traveling south. Right? Yes. At the poles. But if you start traveling east, you will come to a place, you will never come to the place where you are traveling west. There is no end to an easterly direction. It's, it's an infinitive, it's infinite. So what this verse is teaching is that God has removed our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah 43.25 says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. That's a strong word. I looked that up. It means obliterates. They're gone. And he says, I do it for my own sake and will not remember your sins. Hallelujah. That's a big difference between the way God forgives and the way we forgive. Oh, I'll I'll forgive you, but I'm never going to forget it. That's human nature. And even if we don't outwardly express it, there's still this thing in our heart gnawing at us, I'm never going to forgive them. Now, I had somebody who who told me that one time, you know, right across my desk, you know, I, asked, I was dealing with this matter of forgiveness of somebody who had sinned against them and the grounds for that forgiveness. And, and they didn't care, even if this person repented. They told me flat out, I'll never forgive them. And I took them to the verse, you know, about God forgiving us for Jesus' sake. Now think about your sins, right? I mean, what, let's just suppose you, you only committed one sin a week. Now, anybody better than that? (laughs) But let's just say it's only one sin a week, right? That's how many sins a year? 52. And if you live to be 100, which probably many of you will, that's still a lot of sins, right? Just one a week. God says he obliterates them all. As far as the east to west, he takes them... Cast them behind his back to be remembered against us no more. That's to forgive as God forgives. And it, it's hard. But I like that verse, Isaiah 43, 25. He says, I do this not because you're really a bunch of nice people and you're worthy of it. 
Because we're not a bunch of nice people and we're not worthy of the forgiveness of God. He says, I do it for my own sake, for my own glory, because it exalts the one who came to suffer and die for your sins. God does it for his own sake. And by the way, on the simplest level, the forgiveness of sin is an act of grace. It's an act of grace from the God of grace. When you think about grace, what do we, how do we define it? We usually say unmerited what? Favor. And the word favor actually is the nearest biblical synonym for the word grace. So when you think of grace, think of favor, God's favor. Now, I have mentioned on numerous occasions here that the grace of God, and we use that term freely, is not some kind of unseen spiritual power or substance or force that he pours into people. It's easy to begin to think of it that way. That's the Roman Catholic sacramental concept of grace. God infuses this substance, whatever it is, this mystical thing into people. Unfortunately, many non-Catholics kind of accept that as well to some degree. I know there are some, and I've gone to a, a service one time in a Presbyterian church, and we were taking communion, and he talked about just the, the grace of God being, being poured, infused into you through the reception of that communion wafer. It's just bread. It's just wine or juice to remind us of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no mysticism involved there. Great spiritual truth. I'm not denying that. You could weep. It could cause certain people to become emotional and so forth because it's not of the elements in itself. So the influence, what happened here was the influence of the Latin. The influence of the Latin word gratia, grace. It originally meant nothing more than favor. But over time, it ended up meaning some kind of a spiritual power that comes to people through the sacraments. And, and a priest is the officiant. He, he has the ability to, to do this, and then the grace is, is, is poured into you. Look at Luke one twenty eight, And you can see this. The two com- comparisons here, just as we compared versions before. The King James says, And the angel came into her, Mary, and said, Hail, thou art what? Highly favored. Highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now look at the reams. That's the Catholic translation based on the Latin. And the angel being come said unto her, Hail, full of what? Grace. The Lord is with you, blessed art thou among. And you could easily begin to see how this concept of the elevation of Mary became in, came into being and into practice in the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, if she's full of grace, then she's above everybody else. Now, God blessed her in a singular way, didn't he? Remarkable way. But she recognized her own sinfulness. She rejoiced, in, and she said, in God, her Savior. And she was blessed among women, but not blessed above women, like the Catholic Church has exalted her. So you have to be really careful. 
So common grace, we think about that. Common grace is the favor, favor that, that God bestows on all men. All men are the recipients of his common grace. For he makes this sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the what? Unjust. That's, that's common grace. People today who have no thought of God at all, they don't worship God. Maybe they're out there on the golf course this morning or out there, you know, and, and walking the beach, basking under the, the sunshine. They, they're, they're recipients of God's common grace with no thought toward God at all. But saving grace is God's favor upon those who what? Who receive Christ as what? Savior. The grace of God has a what? Appeared to all men. Praise God. All men. Titus 2.11. I should say this when you think about that. I don't believe there's such a thing. If, you, if, if, if I understand grace rightly as the favor of God and not some supernatural force or power that he infuses in, into people, then uh, there's no irresistible grace. People resist the favor of God all the time. The goodness of God all the time. Divine grace and human grace are also incompatible when it comes to eternal life, right? For by grace, you know, the magnificence of God's goodness, His favor. For by grace have you been saved by faith, right? And that not of yourselves, but it... The grace, salvation by grace through faith, not, not just faith. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It, this whole salvation, it is what? It's of God, right? For by grace have you been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of, le- not of works, lest anyone should boast. And faith is not a work. Romans chapter 4. We'll read the first couple of verses. Faith is not a work. Faith is casting yourself, recognizing your unworthiness, humbling yourself in light of the grace of God and the goodness of God and the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And just what are you saying? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's it. Like the man in the temple, right? The two that went into the temple, the publican and the, and the Pharisee and the publican and, and the, one, the one who went away justified. The one who said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Not like the Pharisee who said, I did this, I did this, I fast, I do all this. Which is, by the way, is a good, I've said this before too, which is a really good, good story because Muslims love stories. Just read that story of the publican and the tax collector, the sinner, and, and which one walked away justified. You ask somebody who is, who is uh, uh, you know, into Islam, and, and they'll all, well, he's the Pharisee. Man, he's doing the prayers. He's doing the, you know, all these things. No, divine grace and human works are incompatible when it comes to eternal life. The sad thing is, People can reject the grace that God bestows in the death of Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They're free to do that. They have a free will to do that, to accept or to reject it. 
But God will forgive only those who turn to him in repentance. What I, I like to call a repentant faith. And they put their trust in Christ. You know, in Luke one seventy seven, it was declared of Jesus' ministry that it was to give knowledge of salvation unto his people because he came first to who? The Jew. By the remission of their sins. Acts 20.20. 20. Paul says, I kept back nothing that was unprofitable to you, speaking in Ephesus. But I have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying, witnessing, both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, at its simplest level, its foremost level, its primary meaning repentance is not complex. It means a change of mind. A change of mind. And as God sanctifies the forgiven sinner, like the Thessalonians, who turned from what? Idols, false gods. That's repentance. They turned from idols to God, to serve the living and the true God. And then they, they, they began to bear testimony of the change that had occurred in their life as they turned from that false idol's idolatry to the one and only true God. That's Luke, or uh, at First Thessalonians 1. Think about of Zacchaeus. I mean, Zacchaeus wasn't well-liked, Right? I mean, he worked for Rome, he collected their taxes, and he skimmed money off the top. I mean, everybody hated him. The Romans used him, but everybody hated him. But what happened? When he encountered Jesus, and I don't have time to go into the whole story, in Luke chapter 19, verse, verses 1 through 10. He turned to Christ. And then he wanted to make things right, which was, you know, really evidence that his, that his heart was truly changed. How, how about the prodigal son? There's a story for you, Luke chapter 15. If you really want to, and we'll get into this in this future study on forgiveness. It's a, it's a great, great teaching on forgiveness. But he, he left his rebellious ways. And, and what it, what, when he came to his senses, what did he realize? When he saw to the Father, he says, I've sinned against what? I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And that's basically what David said in Psalm 51. It's first recognition of your sinfulness, your sin against God. And then once that's taken care of, then you, you should desire to make it right with other people. So wherever you find true faith, you'll, you'll find true biblical repentance. Wherever you find true repentance, you'll find true biblical faith. You cannot repent without truly believing, and you cannot truly believe in Christ without repenting. Saving faith is a personal trust in God, in Christ, as the one who secures full forgiveness of sins and eternal life. It, it's, it's simple. It's John 3.16. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever, what? Believes in him. So you're going to stop believing other things. Whoever believes in him will not, what? Perish, but have everlasting life. Because their sins have been forgiven. Because Christ paid for those sins. Not in part, but in 
full, in whole. And as far as the east is from the west, they'll they'll never be remembered against you no more. Now, have you ever stood before a judge in any capacity at all? I did. I got a fishing violation once. Now, I want to tell you, I really didn't deserve it. (laughs) I really didn't. But nevertheless, it was a technical violation of the law, and I just so happened to be seen by this guy that wore his green uniform with a gold badge, and it said fish and game on it. So he came over. I'm not going to go into all the details. But, you know, he, he wrote me this little ticket and says, oh, you could take care of it on your own or, you know, no, you have to go up here. You can't pay this one. Oh, I thought that's funny. Well, good thing I did because the fine was $1,000 for this silly little thing. And uh, so I go, I go into court that day with all these criminals. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> They're all there telling their stories for these serious things. And I got this minor little fishing violation. So I, I, it was my turn to call you up. And you don't get no attorneys or nothing there for this. So I go up there and I see this judge. And, uh, and it's kind of scary, you know. Is he going to have mercy on me? I mean, I don't want to pay $1,000. So he started talking to me a little bit. He says, hey, just tell me your story. Keep it short. So I kept it short, and I told him his story, my story. And he, uh, he said, I believe you. I thought, good, man, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> Zero. He said, however, we got this ticket. And I got to do something with this. And he opened his book up. And he's looking, looking, looking. And he goes, it's a $1,000. And then he looks at me and he goes, I think that's really excessive. And I wanted to say, me too. <laughs> Agreed, Your Honor. And he says, so uh, could you give us 100 That's the kind of way he put it. He was just testing me out. And I says, hey, I no problem with that. You know, I learned my lesson. Then he asked me about fishing and just got, really, did you catch any fish and the whole thing? I, he would have let me go, you know, but he had to do something. Justice had to be satisfied. Thank God. Thank God it was satisfied in Christ. Now, I just want to make one thing clear before we go, that repentance and faith, is not a work that we do that merits redemption. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says this, in whom we have what? Redemption through his what? Blood. That's what we remember when we celebrate here. The forgiveness of sins according to what? The riches of his favor. The riches of his grace. So I put this verse in the bulletin. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Have you ever done that? If you're a sinner and, and 
and you're, 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 you're convicted of your sins and your need for Christ, then you need, to, you need to cry out to Him out of the depths of your brokenness. Oh Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. But here's the verse. If thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? If God were to keep score of all of our iniquities and then bring them up against us at the final judgment, because that's what I think this is talking about, who will stand in the end the scrutiny of the God of holiness? All your iniquities. Who would stand? Even if it was just one a week. For a hundred years, you got over 5,000 iniquities. Who would stand? And the answer is nobody. Nobody. But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. And that's not the fear of God's judgment at this point. That's the reverence that you have toward God. That's the worship of your heart toward God. Because He has forgiven you of all your iniquities. He alone is worthy of worship. He alone is worthy of praise. There is forgiveness with God. Listen, have you ever spoken to anybody who said, God will never forgive me? Well, you don't understand what I have done, they, they might say. You don't understand what I have done. I have, I, I've aborted my baby. I've taken another person's life. There is forgiveness with thee. We need, we need to know the location of that verse. Lest anyone comes to you and says, God could never forgive me. Never forgive me. Yes, he can. Because of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you this morning for your word to us. The simple message of forgiveness. Help us to take this word, the study of your, your scriptures seriously, Lord. And help us, Lord, to come away today having been forgiven as we know of all of our iniquities because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just with that attitude of reverence toward you, that fear toward you, that is the fear that only believers can have. The others have just the fear of judgment. But we have a different kind of a fear. We reverence you. We bow before you. We express our gratitude to you for all that you have done for us in Christ in having forgiven us of all of our sins. Amen.